Heavy Cardboard, Episode 30, Rococo. Coming to you from Denver, Colorado, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk, you know, decent, mediocre games and whatever else comes to us, you know, other topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your host, I'm Edward. I'm Tony. So first off, how to get in contact with us. Hit us on our website, Heavy Cardboard. Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email, contact at, yep, you guessed it, heavycardboard.com. So we asked uh, we asked for some uh, iTunes reviews last episode, and uh, boy, did you all respond. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. The U.S., Canada, U.K., Germany, and all, and Australia all came out to help us out, so we appreciate that. So here we go. Luke Nelson James, Turkey Skin, XBXB, Galaxy Trucker 1, Red Samurai 12,000, Nomam, Mantheron, Chris Klarman, Agtinio 9, Angaro 9, SMWAS 17, and Black Lamb 6, and everyone else previously. Thank you guys. We really, really appreciate it. Turkey skin, huh? Yeah, I, yeah, that, nice. yeah. He actually apologized for his name on iTunes. <laughs> I think that was pretty funny. But no, seriously, we very, very much appreciate the reviews on iTunes. It helps get our our uh, podcast, you know, on the more recommended or or whatnot on there. So you guys appreciate helping it. us helps you helps us gets us more visible. So we get more things to give away for you guys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Speaking of which. Because you guys did such a great job on the reviews, we're going to have a uh, a fun scavenger hunt for you guys next episode. Uh, we didn't have time to get everything set up for it uh, this episode, so next episode we were going to have a uh, a fun giveaway for you guys for a, uh, I think it's a $40 gift certificate over to Game Surplus, our sponsor. Speaking of Game Surplus, they are the sponsor of Heavy Cardboard. We appreciate them very much. Great folks, great reputation, awesome inventory of games. Check them out, www.gamesurplus.com. Tell them every cardboard sent you. So other than playing games, not a lot going on over here in my my neck of the woods. I finally got around to getting the next box one. I got it. Still haven't hooked it up. Still in the box. So I've, I've been busy. So hmm. what's going on with you? Um, well, I was I was pretty pleased with the results of our 18xx episode. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the right. feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. It's shot to the top of our most downloaded episode list in very short order. Not the top, but in the top. Um, and I think based on things I've heard and read that we've got a few folks interested in trying some 18xx games, and that was the goal. You're right. We're just trying to trying to encourage people to give it a try, and it seems like the uh, the point made it through. Asher's tenth birthday was yesterday. Right on. Uh, I I went and got <laughs> right. I went and got him a steak, and I made him some frosty paws for dessert. Oh, it's yeah. like a oh, doggy yeah. ice cream or oh, yeah. whatever. Um, and funny funny little quick story here. I started listening to the History of Rome podcast for the second time. It's about 180, 190 episodes long, and it's wait for it the History of Rome. But one of my favorite things about this that I missed the first time I listened to it. The first time they encountered uh, the Greeks, the Romans, in battle, uh, they ran into war elephants, and they, mm. they, the war elephants wreaked havoc. Well, the second time they, they ran into them, uh, Mike Duncan, who hosts the, who tells the 
recites the history, if you will. Sure. He uh, he says how they came up with a good idea on how to take down war elephants, and it was something as simple as having a rope behind a chariot and them just riding around the yeah. elephants and and you know cinching up their legs and the elephants fall, and total deadpan, total as if it were just totally legit. He's like not uh, unsim or uh, very similar to how the rebels took down the oh. Imperial Walker for the Battle of Hoth. And he said that right in the middle of the description of the battle. It totally takes everything out of context. Right, but, he, but the, way, the way he clear. Said, but the way he said it, it almost made you think, wait, was that real? Hold on a second. So yeah, that it's my favorite podcast of all time and having a good time with it. Well, tell me what games that uh, you have acquired recently, sir. Well, there's there's sort of three. Okay. Uh, the first off is a custom copy of Kansas Pacific that Kansas you, Pacific that you hooked me up with. So thank you. You're welcome. I uh, I don't like the construction paper components. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did the same with 1857. You kind of pimped them out and kind of made, made like it your own custom copy. 18xx style certificates and stuff like that. Made my own 1830 tiles for it. Oh, it looks great. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, but thank you for the Kansas Pacific. The other things that uh, we have acquired, uh, kind of, are review copies of Argent the Consortium and, and Forge War. Yay. Uh, so thanks to Level 99 Games and Cephalo Fair Games for those. We'll be featuring both of them in upcoming episodes. Potentially. Likely. We will. Unless they don't want us to. Well, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> so how about you? Uh, let's see. I, I acquired uh, Trombon, which we'll be talking a little bit about. In today's episode, 1873 Harzbon and Helios. Thank you, Game Surplus, for that. You know, on that note, I guess I forgot one. DR Congo That's finally right. actually made it here. Speaking of Game Surplus. Right. So so thanks to Velma for that one. Let's so see. How, hunting? Yeah. Um, kind of. Not really actively, like, aggressively hunting. Just, hey, if it happens to work out. Just finished a math trade hmm. and traded away uh, one game for... Masters of Venice, uh, so that'll be yeah. coming here cool. soon. That's one I want us to um, cover. But the as other, well. the uh, same here. The other things that I, I had on my list in the math trade were the Tesla V Edison, yeah, uh, Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born, which I finally got to play. Which we'll talk about that in a minute, and uh, Asgard, which is that really super cheap game from What's Your Game, right. kind of work replacement, kind of a weird take on it, and I'm curious to try it. So cool. But cool. that's it for me. How about you? Uh, the only thing is I, I got on the 1880 reprint list. And uh, it was kind of weird the way I did this. I'm all ears because uh, you I, did it for two copies, I'm sure. So I'm not worried. Uh, Go ahead. Well, inadvertently, perhaps, I emailed Helmut. Okay. And Who is the designer? One of the two. Oh, right, right. Oh, and O. Right. And I hadn't heard anything. So I emailed Lonnie. Lonnie responded immediately back and said, Bing, you're on the list. Today, which was like two weeks later, Helmet responded back, Oh, I'm sorry it took so long. You're on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I might be on it twice. I don't know. But here, but here's the interesting part. Lonnie says they'll be ready to ship in about four weeks. And Helmet says in a few weeks by the end of the year at latest. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very cool. So, yeah, definitely make sure that you get me one as well. Please, sir. Sounds good. I will... Uh, Send another email that says, can you leave me on twice? Please? Yes, right. 
Let's see. Let's talk about the games we've been playing. Well, start with the most recent one that, you know, even though we didn't play it together, we sort of did. Uh, 18OE, we played a uh, medium scenario of it. We had two four-player games. Dueling. Uh, we had two new players. So, let's see. It was, it was you, me, Amanda, PC. Uh, Tony. The other Tony. Tony. KR. It, we had uh, Matt. We had Matt. And, and Ken, uh, Ken and Robert. That's right. And it we each had one of the new players on each of the games, and it was awesome. Ended up running long, uh, but that was to be expected with new players. And let's face it, we had seven brand new people to 18OE, mm-hmm. and the eighth, being me, hadn't played it in two years. Mm-hmm. So it took us about an hour and a half to get through the rules because we kind of overdid it a bit with Matt having never played an 18XX. Yeah. And then... Uh, Began and it took us 12 hours, including the rules. But I don't think there's a single person there that felt like it took more than six. It just it flew by the entire day. Just was everybody was totally engrossed, having a blast, mm-hmm. and and we have two new converts for 18xx, which is a win. We do, we do. What did you think of the game? Oh, I think it's great. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Amanda's what, Amanda was a big fan. She really enjoyed it as well, and she's itching to try it two player, which it's supposed to be a fantastic two player game. Okay, uh, so yeah, that's total win. Cool. It's it's obviously more on the eighteen twenty nine side of things as far as track lane. Yeah, and right. there there's very little uh, shenanigans, so to speak, on the on the stock market side. Right, um, just totally thoroughly enjoyed the game. I found money, it, money was pretty plentiful. Yeah, I, I found it to be an incredibly generous and, right. and forgiving game. And uh, I didn't really... Uh, th- I thought about it a lot on the, the following day, Sunday. And uh, it didn't like grab me like some of the other games we've played. Like, oh, let's play that again next Saturday. Okay. Um, but it was, it was terrific. It was fantastic. I was expecting it to be harder, maybe or something. I, you know, I don't know. It became more intuitive as we went. <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. Okay, that's, all right, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. All right. Um, so getting back to this, what else? Uh, we played Trombon. Yes. Uh, played for sale. Yes. Uh, played the Stauffer Dynasty, which we're going to get into. The Grizzled. We played oh. twice and we lost <laughs> twice. <laughs> I think the, it's um, the World Zero and the Grizzled Forty Two Billion by now. Right. It's it's a hard game, but I to be honest with you, I don't want to go into too much because I really want to do a trailer on it. I think next cool. episode. Uh, and last but not least was Ashes: Rise of the Phoenix Born. Uh, in one of our game days, Matt brought it and we played it four players, which none of us really. Really enjoyed the four-player game, but we saw that the two-player game was going to be really cool. It really okay. gives that kind of Magic the Gathering feel with the dice instead of mana. And it just it scratched all those itches I used to get when I used to play Magic, but didn't bring up all that, it's Magic again. So it was fresh, it was fun, right. and once it's released into the wild on a broader scale, Amanda wants us to pick up a copy, so she and I can play it together so cool so how about you well there were two games that we also played together that you forgot about uh I, sure. sncf the moon oh and key market that's right the moon was a pretty cool sncf map 
It was. It's uh, I Paul Chad because he wasn't here last weekend. Right. He he mentioned to us that a lot of people that's their favorite map with the wraparound. Yeah, and the sun, um, the way the sun moves, you know, it's, right. You can yeah. only build on on half the map on, on right. a given turn and whatnot. Really, yeah, it was really unique. And for a ten minute, fifteen minute game, that's my kind of filler. Totally. Um, let's see. I've played Rococo. The Climbers, Flower Power, Arboretum, Helios, and Nuremberg, in addition to the ones already mentioned. So, without going into much on Key Market, I thought it was fantastic. It's pretty cool. Uh, not $200 fantastic. Absolutely not. But reviewable. But that is the going price. <laughs> but reviewable. Um, I, real quick, Helios, tell me about that a little uh, bit. Helios is a game on a pile of games. Okay. It, um, it's, it's nothing really special or fantastic. It was, it was fun. It's a gorgeous game. The spatial thing about building out your little world and moving the sun around it was really pretty cool. But other yeah. than that, it was whatever. Okay. We'll be right. in the auction. I ne- never played you should it. try so. it. I mean, okay. just to say you did it once and you'll be All good right. with that. All right. Tell us about this train-themed game, Trombon. Trombon is, in fact, a train-themed game from Helmet Oli, half of the O&O team that did Russian Railroads, 1880 China, and a host of other 18xx games. It's a two-player game that plays in about 30 minutes. And the theme of this game is that you're running a, 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 a trolley routes in Munich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to notice a theme of a lack of theme yeah, yeah, on yeah. our trailers There tonight. are train artworks on the cards. <laughs> uh, but other than that, it's, uh, that's what's driving the game. So there are four different trolley lines in the game. and Each one has a station card placed in the center of the board. When four passenger cards are played... On a given line, that line will score for both players. And when these stations score a total of 10 times throughout the game, the game will end. On your turn, you've got a hand of six cards. And you have a sequence of actions that you'll execute. First, you'll have to play one or two cards as passengers on those aforementioned four station cards. So that's how they get up to four. So you have to decide on which line you want to inch closer to scoring. Play any number, secondly, of your remaining cards on the routes for each line that you have personally. This is the critical point in play, and it is optional. You don't have to add cards to your routes. But what you're doing is making columns of cards in each of the four lines, and you can have multiple columns in each of the lines. So line two, the red one, let's say, I can have two routes in that. It doesn't matter, two columns. All of the cards in the deck are numbered 1 through 10. There are two twos, two tens, and three of the rest of the numbers. The tens are worth three victory points, seven through nine are worth two victory points, and the rest of the cards are worth one victory point. When you lay the cards in your columns, they have to be played in the same or ascending value, and that's why there's multiples of each digit. So it can go like two, two, three, seven, seven, nine, right. for instance, right? But once you laid that seven, you can't go back and do sixes and fives, right? When you get eight cards in a column, that column immediately scores. Now, this is a bonus scoring. This isn't one of the ten scorings that is the clock to the game. So what this all does is create a decision point, really, about when you play cards, when do you hold them, and when do you wait for more cards in the value range you're looking for because you're tempted to get those two and three victory point cards down, especially as something is inching closer to being scored. 
Third, on your turn, you're going to play any remaining cards as money into your money deck. Player one begins the game with 12 face-down cards. Those are money. And player two with 15. Those are money. They're in the back kind of the of cards. Kind of balance, right? Yeah. And the back of the cards represent 1,000 marks. Fourth on your turn, you can buy any, none, or all of the three trains that are available for purchase. Trains are really a scoring multiplier in the game. One is placed at the head of every value or of every column that, of the routes that you're building, and they multiply the victory points. So if I have cards worth eight victory points and I have a three train, I just score 24 points when that route scores. I got to say, my biggest disappointment with this game, the trains don't rust. The trains don't rust. Right. I know, because that would be really handy, actually. And the trains, uh, they, they, they have a little price run on them, too. 5,000, 10,000, and 15,000. So you do have to plan to get that. Last thing you can do in your turn is refill up to six cards. So ten scorings, you win, or the game ends, and blah, blah, blah. So here's what's cool about the game. The cards in your hand are used for playing, and they're used for money. They're multi-purpose. So I can put them here, I can put them there, I can put them in the bank. And so you got that big decision point to do I accelerate towards a scoring, you know, by putting them out in the common area, or do you help yourself and yourself only by doing the columns, or do you desperately need that money to be able to buy another right. train so that you can get another scoring run? There's a hint of technology in those trains, a two, a three, and a four multiplier. I, I kind of like that, you know. I, I do wish, though, that the fours rusted the twos. That would Just be the saying, bomb. I think that would be cool. <laughs> Uh, here's something I thought was really cool. The routes, which are, you know, the cards, are numbered 1, 2, 3, and 4, as well as being color-coded yellow, red, blue, and green. So, like, the red one is route line 2. Oh, so colorblind, colorblind right. friendly. When right. I was playing with Paul Chad this weekend, he was holding his cards, and he goes, I think this is red. <laughs> and I said, hey, look at the route number. And he's like, oh. That's cool. Right, because he's he's red-green. Right. Uh, he's red-green uh, colorblind. And so a lot of times in those games, those two colors look identical. So, yeah, that's really cool that they thought to do that. Trains don't rust, but there is a bit of a rush in the game. Because, like, I can keep playing certain color cards out into the center four areas and rush scoring in a route in a line that I'm ahead of you on and try to end the game quicker and capitalize by scoring more points than you. And I saw that in our in our game on Friday that you were going to you were trying to get the last two train and on my turn I was able to come in and snake it to where now all the prices of the trains went from 5000 to 10000 now you can't afford to buy that extra train. Tell you one thing I don't think is cool about the game. It only plays two. I don't see how you could do it better, but it's yeah, cool for I, I I'm sure there's a reason. I I hear what you're saying. I'm trying to think in my head whether or not uh, three would be fun. I I could see that, um, but at the same time, I feel like if you add that third player, it may make the game yeah. longer than it should be because I I felt like the game was perfect play length. For yeah, what it was it, absolutely. Um, the the one gripe, quote unquote, that I would have about the game is pretty much the epitome of pasted on theme right yeah so that's okay yeah we don't care about theme. i'm just saying it could be enhanced had it not been <laughs> pasted on but yeah yeah so, uh, the game is getting lots of comparisons to lost cities and there certainly are similarities never played it couldn't tell you if you like that game and i do then you'll probably like this one too uh but i, I like this one better than lost cities however or if maybe you're just a trolley fan that's right. It is a typical card game, hand management, luck of the draw, 
good good card players will always tell you there's uh, th- there's ways to manage your luck better than poor card game players. That's all about what you keep and when you play it. And I'm enjoying it so far for what it is. It's one of my current favorite two player filler games. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I've played it. I don't know four or five times already just in the few days I've had it. I'm gonna give it a rating of a four. Okay, Let, uh, I was just gonna ask you real quick since you were saying that it's one of your favorite. Uh... Uh, two-player filler games similar similar why uh like weight and thinkiness is arboretum how would you would you put one above the other on those two um i would put based strictly on the two-player aspect i'm saying well uh, oh in two-player i'd play either okay but i'd put arboretum ahead just because it plays three and four okay cool that's trombone Edward, let everybody know about the Stauffer Dynasty, please. All right. Published in 2014, designed by Andreas Stedding, published by Z-Man Games. The Stauffer Dynasty plays two to five players, plays in about 90 minutes or so, give or take. Mm -hmm. In the Stauffer Dynasty, the players represent nobles accompanying Henry VI on his tour of the kingdom in the 12th century. I guess. I mean, I guess. <laughs> this is the epitome of pasted on theme. So we're just going to talk about what actually happens the theme in the tonight game. tonight of our episode is pasted on theme. Right. The game takes place over five rounds where each player gets three actions per round. The order of those actions are dependent on what actions the players took the previous round. The board is modular, pie-shaped circle where each wedge of the pie is a different region with varying number of quote-unquote office seats for your nobles and envoys to occupy. The king starts in one region and will travel one to three spaces around the board each round based on the modular turn track. During each of the player's three actions, the players have a choice of one of two actions. They may take a supply action where players can get additional envoys and nobles, i.e. meeples, to use when they take the other action, which is move and deploy. In addition, they also get one of the available treasure chests that gives players various one-time rule breakers or victory points or end-game scoring points. On the other action, move and deploy, players spend their envoys and nobles, i.e. meeples, to move to the different regions around the board, and then they spend more envoys and nobles to then claim one of the available seats in that region. By doing so, players also get one or more of those face-up treasure chests. After all players have taken their three actions, one or two of the regions are scored using an area majority mechanic. Then the king advances one to three regions. Players get some of their envoys and nobles back, then go on to the next round. Do that five times with differing regions scoring, then the king advancing various numbers of regions. Then the players score their three hidden goals, and whomever has the most VP wins. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of Stauffer Dynasty. Indeed. So, so what's cool? Start with you, Tony. Um, let's see. The modularity of the game. That That's far and away my number yeah. one, my yeah. number one I figured point. That would be a good place to start. Right. The board is in these like little pie wedges, right? Yep. You put them together, different that, configurations. Yep. And not only that, you have the region scoring, which is modular, the turn tracks that convey the main region scored, the secondary conditions for the second region to score, the king's movement, all are great ways to vary the setup and adds variability. The bonus cards are also very modular as well because they're 
they're numbered in little sets. So there's like three cards of number one that do something, three cards of number two that do something, et cetera, all the way up to like, what, 16? Yeah, and you only use a portion of them each yeah. game. So the the key to this game, the key word is modular. Modular. So good chunky bits, thick cardboard components, yeah, yeah. Uh, linen finish on the cards, I, just good quality components. Beautiful European production quality. Good iconography, too. Very. However... I am not a fan of the old English lettering on on the oh. names of the regions. At a glance, can be a little hard to read. Just at a glance, it's Gothic. Oh, a Gothic font. Okay, sure. So the planning in this game. Talk, talk a little bit about the planning. I I feel like um, you know planning the forethought and thinking ahead to to accomplish the the goals of the game. I feel like this is like a like a puzzle game. Okay. Where where like the game in its modular way is going to say hey. Here's where the king is. Here's where the king's going. Here's what those areas are worth, right? You know what the currency is. You know the bonus cards in the game. Now, go score the most points you can within that puzzle in five turns. No, I, I, I think you nailed it. That's exactly it. What are the wild cards? Treasure chests, I think, right? Well, yeah, the treasure chests, which are, there's, I want to say, four different kinds. You know, there, there's the rule breakers, there's rule breakers. immediate scoring right. VPs. The ones you collect to get bigger VPs. And there's the ones that you get a set of two if mm. you collect and you get those bonus cards that are the purple permanent ones. rule breakers for you and you only. The way the turn order changes each round, uh, you know, b- the better actions that you take, i.e. the move and deploy uh, action cause you to act later in the following round. I like that, how it's it's not a static turn order. I think that's a really cool concept to where if you take the lesser action, which is the supply action, which just mm-hmm. gets you more meeples and gets you one treasure chest, possibly more. Or maybe you, even none. Right. You know that, okay, I even though um, I'm kind of wasting an action by only using that to get more dudes, I know I'm going to act earlier in the turn to be able to get some of those higher point office seats earlier for the next round. So kind of that, that forethought of planning to piggyback on what you were saying. So what about uh, things that we maybe don't like so much about the game? Well, I personally am not a huge fan of the artwork. Um, huh. it, it's, it's a little too Euro-y, for okay. lack of a better way to put it. Um, Fair enough. It's just, it's it's very... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the wording on this. It's hard to describe. It's just is, very. Is there a crusty-looking old white dude on the cover? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of that. Well, for a guy who really digs those type games, Kalis and and such. Yeah. Um, I just I, I wasn't a huge fan of the bright colors, and I you know, hey, I like art Arkwright, you know, muted well, colors yeah. and stuff like that. I understand what you're saying. Um, so the other thing, and I only really have one other negative, but it's kind of the big negative for this for me is the game's fine Mm -hmm. i mean it's a fine game there's nothing unobtrusive there's but at the same time there's nothing really terribly special about it other than the modular nature of the game uh to me i I see nothing new or innovative or innovative as our english friends would say (laughs) it's just a rehash of Mechanics like resource acquisition, resource spending, movement allowance, predetermined scoring locations with predetermined values, a variable turn order that kind of works. I really am not a fan of the turn order mechanic here. It's kind of a good idea that didn't really work out, I don't think. Well, hold on. Hold on. Predetermined game 
but predetermined but variable game conditions, a fixed game length, bonus rule breaking cards and tiles and and boredom. It um, I I don't feel like I'm doing anything meaningful in this game. I, I'm just moving a transient worker currency from place to place to get a fleeting area majority in the current scoring zone and like wake me up when it's my turn and I'll take a look at the board and make my move in 20 seconds. To me, like Andreas Stedding, I've played five of his games now and they're all okay at best and meh at worst. Nothing is amazing and nothing is a complete waste of my time. I'll rarely call for a Stedding game to be played. Um, Family game night accepted. Of the five Stedding games I've played, here's, here's my reverse ranking. Number five. Stauffer Dynasty. Number four, Hansa Teutonica. Three, Nuremberg. Two, Firenze. One, Koga. I'm going to go all the way out on a limb here and give Stauffer Dynasty a three rating. Blech. Yeah, I, I'll agree with your rating um, and kind of your, your summary of it, to be honest. Um, I've only played two of those five, Hansa Teutonica and Stauffer Dynasty. And to me, Hansa Teutonica is a much more interesting game. Oh, yeah. That said, I do wonder if... More games would profit from being as modular as this game is. That is, I feel like its calling card is how modular. Just there mm-hmm. are so many modular things about it. And it doesn't necessarily add to the replayability, but it adds to the variability of the game. Sure, sure. And the monotony's still there. but yeah. <laughs> I think you're being a little harsh, but but I yeah, I, I would give it a 3 on a, on our 1 to 6 scale so that you know we don't have any, any middle ground. So below average, but it does have some interesting things about it. But yeah, overall, it's, it's, it's fine. And that's the Stauffer Dynasty. All right, it's time for our featured presentation. Let's go make some dresses. Rococo, published in 2013. The designers are Matthias Kramer, Louis Maltz, and Stefan Maltz. The artist, the incomparable Michael Menzel. The publisher is Eagle Griffin Games, at least of the version we've been playing. Player count is 2 to 5. The length of time for the game is 1 to 2 hours, depending on the player count, of course. And the availability and cost of the game is it's it's in print and, and available and it retails for fifty nine ninety nine. Hold on, let that sink in. Let let the listeners just bask in that or or cringe that it yes, it's in print. I'm not the most cultured person, and uh, you yeah, <laughs> I mean you know, Ozzy Osbourne's the height of musical culture for me. So, oh. no. um, before we talk about what's going on in the game, I was like, all right, what the hell is Rococo? So I had to look it up a little bit and do a little Like re- the definition right. of Rococo? Okay. Rococo was an ornate, playful, and witty artistic movement in the late 18th century as a reaction against the grandeur, symmetry, and strict regulations of the Baroque. Soon after its fall from grace, the style received harsh criticism and was seen by some to be superficial and of poor taste. However, Rococo is now widely recognized as a major period of development in European art. It had a lot of asymmetry to it. Okay. I saw some nice pieces that were like a mirror with this really fancy frame that was almost all the same, but then there were some slight differences. And and other things used garish styles and colors. Uh, yeah. Not sure if I'd... 
I wonder, does the artwork really fit with that then? Because I don't. Well, they think are they... bright red and bright green sure, dresses they are bright, in the game, right? But, but they're not garish. I wouldn't say garish. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So continue, please, sir. So welcome to the Rococo era during the reign of Louis the Fifteenth, when it's safe to say that holding lavish balls is quite trendy. Important personalities wrap up in noble coats and dresses, anxious to outshine one another. The biggest event is coming up in just a few weeks, and everyone is turning to you with their request. An elegant coat here, a stunning dress there, or a donation to fund the fireworks at the event. Soon you realize that it's not just about your dressmaking business anymore. It's about managing the most prestigious ball of the era. So a touch of deck building accentuates this area control and resource conversion game. The board represents five different ballrooms that each contain a fixed number of spaces. The spaces are filled by people wearing dresses made during the play of the game. This is the area control aspect of which I spoke. Scoring of each ballroom at the end of the game is based on having the most and the second most dresses in each of those ballrooms, and the ballrooms are worth different amounts of points. Beginning with a deck of five cards, each player selects three cards to play in each of the game's seven rounds. Here is the deck management, deck building aspect. Each card in your deck must be used before you can shuffle and reuse cards. And the cards represent an employee that is of the skill level of apprentice, journeyman, or master. During your turn, you can choose one of the cards from your hand of three and select one of six actions for that employee to undertake. Now, not all levels of employee can do all of the actions. One of the actions, for example, is claim the queen's favor. This makes you the first player in the next round and earns you five bucks. The apprentice can't do that. You need have, not apply. Need not apply. The queen has no time for that pauper. You can acquire resources by buying fabrics, lace, and thread from the marketplace. Any worker can do that. Making a dress. You spend those fabrics, laces, and threads to make a dress, and an apprentice cannot make a dress. It requires a journeyman or a master, and some dresses can only be made by a master. Of course, those are worth more points. Made with just the finest, finest craftsmanship. Finest. And that's represented when you go to place that dress on the board because dresses can be worn by the ball goers. You place the dresses in, the different, in one of the different ballrooms and some of the places that you place them in can only be placed if the dress was made by a master. Of course, dresses can also be sold for cash and discarded from the game. Straight cheddar. Let's see, you can hire a new employee, but only masters can do this action. There is a marketplace for four new employees each round. Every new employee that you hire goes directly into your hand, giving you more than the three actions you started with this round. As the game rolls on, the employees that are available are cooler and cooler, and some provide an endgame bonus for certain accomplishments during the game. Another action you can take is depute your employee, or as I like to call it, you're fired. <laughs> you are found to be the weakest link. Goodbye. When you do this, the cards are removed from the game, thinning your deck and giving you some immediate cash. The last thing you can do with one of your employees is fund a decoration. The board has these decoration locations on them that act as various things like point multipliers, tiebreakers, and, and similar bonuses. And they cost money to fund them and often a significant amount. So for the next round, you pick three cards from those you have not already played. If you don't have three to choose from, then you will have to use the one or two you're left with, but then you can 
fill out your hand from the rest of your deck and recycle and start over. By your, Of your choice. It's not just shuffle and take it's, the top. That's right. It's not shuffle and deal. That's a great point. At the end of the game, we're going to score the area majority majorities. We're going to score the dresses, employee bonuses, and we're going to add in whatever victory points you might have earned during the game, which is usually not a, not a lot. Although the other night... I went like a money route, and at the end of the game, I already had like 42 victory points. Which is unheard of, because normally it's it's a pittance compared to yeah. final game scoring, or end game scoring. Most points, you're the winner. All right, let's go right into the review of the game. Let's talk about scalability. Which player counts have we uh, experienced, sir? Go. Well, I've played it, I think, eight times, and I've played it across the entire range. Two, three, four, and five players. How about you? Yeah, I have no idea how many times I've played it. I wrote in my notes maybe ten, but I'm saying all, you don't all track player co- counts. you don't track your plays. I, although I have been tracking plays recently just to keep track of what I played so for the podcast. For, for the podcast, yeah. right. Okay. I don't care. I don't write down who played, who No, won, I don't do any of that either. Account. But anyway. Scalability. So, um... Personally, I think it scales great. However, the board is double-sided, mm-hmm. and it's two and three players on one side, four and five on the back side, yep. or vice versa. For me, in my enjoyment, I prefer it at three and five, I've noticed. Oh. I, I do enjoy it at two and four, but I prefer it at three and five. The reason being... Yeah, I'd like to there's, know. There's more competition for spots. It's tighter. It's a tighter game with the... With the board appropriate oh. size and the max player for that side. There you go. I got you. I got you. I uh, I prefer it at three, specifically. Specifically at, at three. three. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? More to come on that. Okay. More to come on that. I, I have a place where I'm going to talk about that. Okay. So uh, regarding the cardboard, my friend, uh, components and graphic design. I got to be honest. I'm pretty happy with the components. Uh, thick cardboard, double sided board, as we just talked about. Uh, the cards are nice, although, I'll be honest, I don't know, I can't remember if they're linen finished or not, because I've sleeved mine, so I'm not sure. They're not. Okay. Uh, Menzel's a genius. Oh, yeah, that goes without saying. If the game's going to be about making fancy party dresses for lavish French balls, then the artwork has to be of a certain quality, and I think he nailed it. And I think the iconography overall is excellent, but like every time we play, because we don't play it all that much, right? It'll come out every one, two months at my house. And there's always some of those cards when I have to look up the iconography on the on some of the um, employees later that come out later in the game. I'm like, all right, what does that one mean again? Most, okay. But 90% of them are great. Yeah, I I agree. And I hadn't thought about that as far as a couple of the iconography issues. Not issues, but... Yeah, they're not that. They're not it's just that we don't clear. see them enough, right? And it's it's length of time between seeing them. Right. Outside of that, though? Yeah. Yeah, it really, really well done. What about the rule book? I think it's excellent. Yeah. Not just good, but excellent. Yeah. It's great for both learning the game for the first time, as well as for referencing things throughout the game. Uh, let's put... Here's another way to think of it. The game's been out almost two years... And it only has two pages of rules questions <laughs> yeah, on BGG. That's a good sign. I think that's an excellent sign of an excellent rule book. So let me play a fill-in-the-blanks game with you. Okay. What makes this game blank? Medium. Yes, sir. I agree. Okay. Complexity. That, um, that, that, was, a, uh, that was a short game. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you won. You got the answer right. Okay. Woo! Complexity in the game. Rules, complexity, mechanical complexity. I don't really feel there's any complexity here. There's no... 
nitpicky rules to manage or anything like that. Mechanics are straightforward. I agree with that with one small caveat, and that's understanding the the deck building and the 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 physical the actual mechanic of drawing your cards between rounds. It's not like other deck builders. Okay. Usually, whenever you acquire a new card, it goes into your discard. You right. can't get it. Da 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 da. Whereas, when yeah. you, whenever you acquire a new card in this, it goes straight into your hand. And then, instead of shuffling up your cards, you get whatever's left over, and then you can choose from the rest of it. So it's a little. It's different. It takes it takes a little bit, a, a couple of rounds on that aspect okay. to wrap your head around. But once people get it, then the rest of the game, if they have any experience whatsoever with hobby games, they're going to be perfectly fine. So tell, talk about the planning then for a minute there. Well, I, I do think there's there's some tactical and some strategic planning that goes on in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, very tactical. It's going to be based on what patterns are drawn and what cloth tiles are available each round. Right, what dresses are out there. Yeah. Right, the, the and, patterns, I'm yeah. calling them. Oh, okay. sorry, yeah. Because there, oh, there right. are there, there are, are patterns coats. on that side, and then there are dresses or, or suits coat. when you make right. them. Yes. Right. And there are, though, that, or there is, I should say, some forward-looking planning that's needed whenever you select what employees you're going to have available each round. So, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, this goes back to what I was just talking about with the deck management part or the deck building part. Whatever cards you have to draw from that aren't in your discard are currently available, you're going to have to choose them. Yeah. But also then you can go through whatever else is left and select what card you want. And so you kind of have to have a plan in, in mind for how you want the next round to develop. Right. Like what dresses or patterns, because they're not dresses yet, am I going to target what fabrics, lace, and thread do I have versus what I'm going to need for those things? And what am I going to sell the dress or put it in a ballroom? And what a master, an apprentice, right. or a journeyman? What do what I skill what level I do I need exactly? Um, versus you know maybe I only have one master left and there's a bitchin' dress down there, but I also kind of need to hire another guy with that. So there are some choices to have to make to plan on, and it depends on what new workers are available too. Yep. So lots of choices um, and, and both sides of the planning. So luck and random factors, I, I, I don't know if there's any luck, but there's a lot of things that are random, what's available in the market and the patterns, like you mentioned. Right, as well as the order of the employee cards. But dare I say, it's totally within reason when you factor in the length of the game and the weight of the game. It feels, yeah. it feels random appropriate. Well, and I, I totally, totally, totally agree. It is appropriate, and... Like what you said about the employee cards, here's an example, I think. The employee cards, which ones come out are random? Sorta. There are turn one, turn two, turn three, and turn four, and turn five cards, for example. But you don't know which four are coming out in that. With, so it's not random in the whole deck. It, so you, you kind of know who's coming out when. You know. So yeah. Let's see. Game length. Is that an issue for you? It's not an issue, and I, I I don't think it adds to the weight of the game, but it fits per- perfectly mm-hmm. in with where it should run as far as game length. It contributes to the game being medium, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. It's not... Uh, I, game length's not an issue for those that like heavy and medium games. No, a two-hour yeah. game is exactly what this should be. Absolutely. 
So you, you were kind of talking a little bit about how long it might take someone to get it from the aspect of the differences of this deck building aspect, but what about like the game in general? Yeah, I, I think a couple rounds at most. The final scoring is pretty straightforward, so as long as it, it was explained well at the beginning of the game, players should get the game fairly quickly, with the one caveat being, like I said, that, that the deck drawing aspect at the beginning mm-hmm. of each turn. Other than that, yeah, I think it's a couple rounds, less than a game. Uh, oh, yeah, just a, a few turns is what I wrote down, too. You know, you have to take in what the cards are going to do. How do you get more cards? You know, how do you manage that hand and do things in the midst of players buying up the dresses you had your eye on, etc.? So, hmm, let us discuss some of the more enjoyable and pleasant aspects of this game. First off, it's a pretty off-the-beaten-path theme. Yeah, only other game I can think of that touches the Taylor type theme really is Predaporte. So seriously, legitimately, props to the designers for taking a chance on this theme because the theme could could potentially have been a turnoff to a lot of gamers in a male dominated hobby. So yeah, props. Mm-hmm. I think it I think it's well integrated in the game as well. Earlier in this episode, we've talked about pasted on theme here, pasted on theme there. This theme is sewn on. <laughs> <laughs> dad joke all right yeah. go ahead all, all right. right so uh, the workers on the cards having the three different levels and the different abilities of the apprentice journeyman and master i think that's a really really nice nice touch yeah i i love not only that but it's kind of a different take on deck building yes. there's ways to thin your deck just like most deck builders uh it's just that whole draw mechanic i i appreciate that they they're trying something new and different that's right and it works well i think i I can have a little more control over what comes into my hand but i have to use every card so i like that too let's see i've i've scored a whole bunch of points making dresses i've scored a whole bunch of points making not so many dresses i've won i've got my butt kicked i mean there's there's a lot of ways through the game, I think. Yeah, I think there's lots of paths to victory. Uh, and I enjoy doing the different paths, if that makes sense. Like, there isn't one that, yeah, I can do this, but eh, whatever. I genuinely enjoy all the paths that I've been able to, you know, explore thus far. Mm-hmm. So, I know you mentioned it earlier when we were talking about components and going through the, the artist and everything. But, seriously, Michael Menzel, that dude... The dude is a master. If he were in this game, he would be a master craftsman. Oh. Beautiful, beautiful artwork. Really well done. Yeah. Uh, Gorgeous. It's Michael Menzel. Enough said. I kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but I want to reemphasize that I. it's really tight in an Agricola kind of way when you're playing on the higher play count on each side of the board, yet it's still good on the less tight player counts. So in other words, it's tighter at three and five, a little bit looser at two and four, but still enjoyable. Okay. As a guy who prefers that tighter, more tense, more, I guess, stressful uh, gameplay, that the worker placement aspect, I enjoy that more. So I get a bit of an Agricola feel to it. Hmm. You're not so much stealing... Uh, well, I guess you are kind of worker placement because there's less uh, places that you can go in the in the various ballrooms as well. All right, let me try. Right, it. I, I'm, I feel area control there. You know. Well, not... 
Maybe. Um, there's deck building, there's resource management, there's worker placement, and there's area control. I'm, I'm, I don't see the worker placement. You are using your employees. No, uh, when, you, when you take your dresses, when, when, when you've, you've used, turned your resources, mm-hmm. and you've, you've bought a pattern, mm-hmm. and you turned it into a dress, and you choose not to sell it, right. you choose to put it out on the board... Right, it's an area majority game. Right, yeah, I guess maybe you know. Yeah. Okay. No, I'll, I'll I'll take that back. I would say, not area control, area majority though, because yeah. second place is first, still going yeah, to first score. And second place, yeah. Sure. sure. Okay. Sure. No, I, I I stand corrected. You're right. I am glad that there are simple markets in the game for both the fabrics and the employees. There. They're kind of reverse intuitive, though, because the more scarce things become, the cheaper they get. Oh, but as opposed to I, the I, re- yeah. more cheap it is, or the fewer it is, the more I mean, I realize expensive. it's a game mechanic, and, and it works in this game. Um, what it really means is if you want something bad, you better get to it first. You're going to pay more, but you did get it. Well, see, and I had kind of a different take on that, and I have it here on my notes, that it's a really good balance to turn order. So... If you're yeah, going, that's if you're game mechanic, okay. If yeah. you're going first, you have unlimited. Well, not uh, you have everything available to you that's on the board, the world, but it's more expensive. Correct. So if you're later in turn order, there's less to choose from. But you know what? It's a whole lot cheaper. Maybe even free. Maybe even free, and that makes you decide just how greedy you're going to be if you're high in the turn order. Right. I can wait on that. Let's do this. Ah, sorry. I feel like you're always engaged, and the play length really, really feels appropriate. It's just, mm-hmm. there's quick turns, there's very little downtime in the game. As with all games worth their salt, you want to do more than you can, which is always a good sign, in my opinion. And one last thing, and it's not really a, a positive, I guess, on the game yet. Mm. But I'm really looking forward to the expansion that's coming out in Essen this year, which is adding jewelry, additional employees, and a way for apprentices to graduate to Master Craftsman, hmm. which I think adds a, a really interesting you know, aspect to the yeah. game and should be, should be a really wonderful addition to the game. Interesting. I don't know about the jewelry. Let's see how that plays out. But the employees and the and the promotions? The employees, cool. I think, are the most important thing yeah. for the simple fact that you're you're this way you're not seeing all the same cards you know it gives that replayability and variability that we we very much enjoy and i'm intrigued by the graduation part from apprentice to to master i think that's going to be cool to check out um i like that my wife is good at this game and uh i guess that appropriate because of the of the two of us she certainly has more experience at holding lavish balls than i do (laughs) (laughs) sorry hon Hey, Edward, is there anything about the game that uh, rubs you the wrong way or or disliked or anything? I'll be honest, I'm having to reach a bit for any dislikes on this game, Mm -hmm. Um, but I have three points, Okay, let's say. I have one, so go for it. All right. First off, the theme might be weird to off-putting to some people, and to them, I say, get over yourself. This is a damn fine game. I would say they're probably weird or off-putting themselves. (laughs) Right. Um, so there's that second final round AP, 
you know, when players are trying to min-max a little. I need uh, two more points. Right, and hey, would this, no, this will get me one more point if I take this employee. No, maybe I should. So it, maybe it could bog down a little bit yeah, on yeah, the end, yeah. but I don't think it's anything excessive. Sure. And last but not least is there's only one bag that comes in the game, like a cloth bag. Oh, to yeah. mix the patterns in and not one for the cloth tiles as I had, well. I had to throw another bag in. Right. So I think that's kind of, wait, what? Come on, guys. So other than that, that's sadly all I got. And I say sadly because we like to, you know, give the, the pluses and minuses, but there's just not a lot here. Sure, sure. Uh, the thing that I wrote down is not one that I, I don't necessarily dislike, but um, when you are fifth in a five-player game, Yeah, you're going to maybe have some slim pickings. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're going to have to be good at making lemonade. And um, But I like so, that. Some people can get bummed out about that, you know, and uh, they call it chaos and stuff. And, and I call it chaos, right, in a game too, or it's like lack of lack of control or, or things From like the that. players, you're From saying. From the players, right, right. Okay. right. So, um, yeah, it doesn't bug me. Uh, it is. It does factor into my scalability, though, and so. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think that's. I think that's a, a a fair point, but I don't see it as a beef for myself. No, no, no. and that's why I kind of said some players. Okay. Some people could get bummed by that. Fair. All right, so let's just roll right into our summaries, my friend. Oh, I'm first. You you give your summary first. I'll give my rating okay. first. Seven point six one is a solid BGG rating. And it's got over 2,400 ratings, so I, think, I feel that's a good metric. I think that's a great rating. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely, I think, a, a fair measurement of the game's acceptance with the masses. The gameplay itself, I think, scales best with three, um, because I think it is a good level of competition. It is the high player count on that side of the board as well, like you mentioned. I thought that was spot on, sir. And it's a good level of it's not too long before your next turn, and the game state's going to change a little less drastically than with four or five players. And that, because I, I feel like that adds, the less drastic the board changes, that adds more weight to the decisions you're able to make. Two is just not competitive enough of a game. And I, sometimes I think five goes a little too long, especially as five people are min maxing that last turn, like you mentioned. This game does afford me a great, fun evening with friends and family that are more casual gamers. And it's fun for the gamer gamers, too. I enjoy the game. My wife enjoys the game. For some reason, I, I really like it more than the sum of the parts, what they really should add up to be. And with so many games to analyze as part of Heavy Cardboard, I've decided I'm not going to investigate this. I'm just going to allow it to remain a mystery. If we, after all, have all the answers to the mysteries, we lose a little something. And, uh, and I don't want to do that because as people, and as hobbyists, we need mystery. That, that The allure of mystery is a very important thing. And definitely this game has a, a bit of allure for me. I quit. I'm tired <laughs> of these big, eloquent monologue summary crap with my one or two sentence thing. It's a summary. I'm summarizing but my Jesus, coverage of you, the game. You're getting more flowery. Flowery. You are more more. I don't eloquent. think I was very it's... flowery about Stavr Dynasty. Well, no, I'm just saying corpse you're... flower maybe. Well, you're raising the bar, so now next episode I'm gonna have to bring it. I just said I dig 
that they took a risk with a unique theme and an an off-the-wall, hey, we're just going to try it because we think it works. And kudos to them for not only making a cool, unique theme, but a really, really damn good game that I think, personally, I enjoyed across the entire spectrum on the player count. I get what you're saying as far as five, especially in the last round, yeah. how it can, you know, drag a, a bit. Uh, and two is maybe a little too little, too little co- competition there. Uh, but as far as overall, I think it's a fantastic game yeah. and an absolute, uh, a valuable asset to my collection that I'm mm. not getting rid of. So. Yeah, no that that last point there is uh, is a is a solid one for sure because neither one of us are selling this game. No, absolutely not. So it's been a while since we've gone over our rating scale. So yeah, let's, fair enough. Let's go ahead and do that real quick. So we rate on a scale of one to six. First one is it's not me, it's you. Burn it with fire. Damn you <laughs> if you sell it or trade it. Shame on you. Just light it on fire. That number, one always kills me. <laughs> number two is, it's not you, it's me. Hey, I, I get why people get it, why they enjoy it, but it's not for me. For me, that would be like a Glenn Moore game. Hmm. That I know it's a good game, but yeah, not for me. Number three, which we talked about earlier with the Stauffer Dynasty, is, you know, it's it's below average, but, you know, there's some cool things about it that we like, whether it's theme, mechanic, you know, something about right, it. Right, right. A four is, hey, it's above average, and this is where the level where we start thinking, hey, maybe we'll we'll actually acquire this game. A five is terrific, dare I say, great game. Strongly like the game, and I'm going to own it. And a six, it's a Hall of Fame game. Just go buy it. The end. No brainer. Right. So for me, yes, sir. with my description, anything other than a five seems unfair. I think... It doesn't do anything hmm. terribly new other than that whole deck drawing mechanic. Right. Which is brilliant. I think it works really well. I think it is perfect for what it does. It's just a really enjoyable game that both casual gamers and gamer gamers can get together and enjoy. And there's not a ton of games out there that really scratch that itch. So yeah, I'd say it's a terrific five for me. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to rate the game a four and, and a, an extremely strong four. I mean, it's no, no such thing as four and a half. No, no, it's a four. There, it is nowhere near a three. Three is not in consideration. And I had to think about this for like two days before deciding to call it a four, not a five. So close to a five it is for me. But if it's not a five, it's four. Ergo, it's a yeah. four. That is Rococo. So this afternoon on Twitter, you and Vassal bored the shit out of me talking about how games get reprinted and viability of it and stuff like that. And uh, I understand you want to mention a little something. Well, this all comes from his board game breakfast video thing that he does, I think, weekly, maybe. Well, here, I'll just get into it. I'm disappointed to hear Tom over on the Dice Tower correlate the popularity of a game with the greatness of it. He recently said, in fact, this morning... If a game is great, it'll get reprinted and that he defines a great game as, quote, a game that appeals to a huge amount of people and is an amazing fun game that people want, end quote. When I disagreed with him and said that just about eliminates all niche games and almost all indie games, 
He said that, yes, it does, and he's okay with that. And I get that our tastes and those of many of y'all listening don't fall in line with Tom and his audience. I get that. But when you have as an enormous a presence in the hobby of ours as he does, to make a blanket statement like that, frankly, isn't true. I find it disappointing and kind of a shame. I can't imagine how many great games we don't get to try because of this type of thought process. That's all. That's all I got. I mean it. The conversation just it bored me. I and and I just don't care because uh, whether it's you, Tom, anybody, my dad, <laughs> I, if I, I it, the conversation did not bring any value to me. I don't care what anybody other than the CEO of multiple publishing companies has to say about the viability of repairing games. I, I mean, so I'm done with it. Move on. All right. So we've had an ask the elephant set of questions that we keep not answering for well, the simple fact that timing and, and yeah. whether or not it fit and all that. They were so, left over from the 18xx episode. We didn't have any time. Right. And so actually it's from the episode before that. So here we're finally getting to I pulled to these it. out of that list. I know because they got added to that from the last time. Oh. So here we go. All right. First off, I'll ask, you answer, then I'll answer. All right. Do you have a favorite year or period for publishing designs? I don't analyze the release of year, the release years for games, nor wine, nor anything. I was going to say the last three years, tw- or 2012 to 2014, is my favorite. That's also that also coincides with when I joined the hobby, so I guess that kind of makes sense. But mm. to say that there aren't ga- gr- awesome games from back in the 80s and 90s in the in the aughts yeah. is, is not true. But that's probably my favorite. So number two, do you have a favorite? Uh, game franchise or family I have a feeling that you and I are going to be very similar on this probably 18xx winsome and the harvest trilogy oh uh Uwe's game Uwe. okay um I had 18xx and I kind of just was gonna go with splatter games as a whole there Not you go. Really kind That's of a, a kind franchise. of a family right all right favorite Least favorite title. Just the name for a game. Not talking about the game quality. So in this case, Global Mogul doesn't apply. Right. Uh, so just strictly the name. Isle of Trains. Because it means the Isle of Trains and Isle of Trains. <laughs> I just think it's clever <laughs> and stupid. All right. But do you have a favorite? I, I'll be honest. I have racked my brain for two weeks for this. And, I mean, I... I, I dig Virsindas Volk. I like the name of that. I think that's pretty cool mm, yeah. on what that represents. But there's nothing that's like... It's fun to say. Yeah. I mean, like, I love the artwork and Fire in the Sky, but that's not the artwork. It's the name. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 we'll go with Virsindas Volk. Least favorite? I have um, Eat Poo, You Cat. I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't use ex- childish. Exploding uh, Kittens uh, because of what it represents. It's not the name itself. Oh. I don't like cats, so that might be right up there with Isle of Trains for me. Um, no, I really, I can't think of anything, so we'll just piggyback cool. off of Eat Poo, You Cat. What the hell were they thinking? Mm. What most turns you on and off on games? On would be economy games, market games, and stock ownership games. Yeah, that's, I, I think, especially over the last few episodes, people are going to know that's our answer. That said, I love auction games i love worker placement games so but my favorite probably if you put a gun to my head are just economic and uh and partial ownership 
you know, mm-hmm. or fractional, fractional ownership games. What about turning off? Mechanic wise, co op. Well, see, Ooh. I was thinking co ops in general. Interesting. But I got to be honest, we played the Grizzled and we all really enjoyed that. So yeah. when I think co op, I think like Dead of Winter. Right, um, right, right. You know, uh, Defenders pandemic. of the Realm, Pandemic. I have less than zero interest in those games. Absolutely. So kind of those with maybe the rare exception. My turn off is not going to be surprising to anyone. It's game altering randomness in medium or heavy games. Okay, well, you got me. Yeah, that too. Okay, fine. Um, what curse word do you... Now, hold on. What's your favorite curse word, and what do you most exclaim during the session? All right, well, let's have a go with this. <laughs> uh, my favorite curse word is f- And uh, during sessions, we're... Uh, well, I think uh, Paul Chad had the, the best... You beat me to it, damn oh, it! Oh, sorry, I'll, you say it. What did Paul Chad say? My... T- you oh, I just and he said that in the middle of a convention. I just <laughs> I looked around and everyone was busy playing games. Right. So my yeah. my favorite um, is either because it's it's mm-hmm, the best thirteen letter mm-hmm. word in the in the English language or. <laughs> All right. I hope that clears it up for you guys. All right. What's your favorite or or and or least favorite mechanism? Well, favorite. We they know that it's auctions and 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 such for both of us. I think that and worker placement for me, but yeah. least least favorite for least, you. Yeah, well, dice. Just anything with dice. Not anything because there are there are games that do it well. Bora Bora, Twa, Madeira, Madeira, and there are games that don't do it well. Okay, so when it's not done well, you know. For me, mechanic wise, I was just gonna say roll and move. Just there's, right. There's just no place for that. Nowadays. Um, so another question, and this one is 100% you because I haven't played it. In Newland, everyone says to use the old rules and not the new. Why? What has changed that makes the new one that much worse? Well, I think that they nerfed the game by giving you some freebie tiles like get out of jail free when the game crunches you up or the other players crunch you up a bit, and that will happen in this game. The mines... Uh, it used to be pre-populated, but now they're just like a random draw of cubes. And uh, But you can play with the original German rules, and that's the only way I've played, based on the feedback of some of our guild membership. Okay. And uh, and that, that point, it's, it really becomes a, a good, luckless game of abstract logistics. It's got some player-driven screwage. It's not a great game. You know, it's, it's worth picking up and trying if you can find it cheap. Okay, because um, it it is tough, and and you can really get into if you like wonkage in a game, you can do some wonkage on each other. Nice. All right, the last one. This one's from our buddy Skip, and I know you two profess not to care about theme, but if you could take your perfect game, what theme would you like to have? Any theme that would make you just insta buy a game strictly on the theme? A software startup is what I put down, and it's going to depend a lot on what I see about the game though. I don't think no theme can make me insta buy, I don't think. It, it the theme will be like a start where startup would be an important factor in my buying it if it was something I really was, was interested in. in, but I'd want to, you know, research the implementation too. I don't want a dice rolling card drawing game about software startups. I would like a heavy economic game about starting a software company and raising venture fund you know, blah blah blah. Okay. Uh, for me, I'll be honest, there isn't a single theme that I could think of that would really make me buy a game. 
Um, as far as the whole not to care about theme, let me clarify one thing. And Please. I think I've said this in the past, but I know we say that we don't care about theme. Theme, if a game has no theme, but the mechanics are strong, it can potentially be a great game. There's no problem with that. However, a strong theme that we enjoy in a game is only going to make a game better. Yes. But it is not required for a game to be great. Well said, sir. So, so yeah, that's that's what we got. So that's it's an abbreviated Ask the Elephant. It'll be back in force probably next episode. So, yeah, look for it. All right, let's put a bow on this episode, sir. Remind everyone how to contact Heavy Cardboard, please. First off, on Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email, contact at heavycardboard.com. We love getting listener emails. YouTube, Heavy Cardboard Vids. We're on the web, heavycardboard.com. And last, certainly not least, join our guild over on BGG. I want to say it's 2044 is the number of the guild, but you can just search for it. Heavy Cardboard Guild, we got about 360 folks or so. Uh, good conversations going over there, and it's not all us, so it's really good interaction, so go check it out. And thank you again to Game Surplus for sponsoring Heavy Cardboard. Check them out at www.heavycardboard.com. They take good care of us, and I know they take good care of all you guys. And they do things like making it possible for giving uh, for giveaways and this $40 gift certificate, etc. So thanks, guys. Yeah, very much. Thank you. Um, and thanks to all our listeners for those that hit the, the World Board Game Championships uh, this year. They said the feedback that they got uh, regarding the show and our, our partnership with them has been great. So for those that said something to them, we really appreciate it. They loved hearing it. And uh, yeah. keep supporting them. Let them know we sent you. We'll, uh, we'll catch you guys, you guys in uh, a couple weeks. We don't know what game 31. yet. It'll be a surprise to us as much as it is to you, I guess. That's three three in my mind. Three? Yeah. What do you got? Oh, you, can, you can give them an idea. Okay. Uh, Argent, Forge Wars, Masters of Venice. I would be willing to get on board with one of those. Th- well, all three. All three of those. But, yeah, right. we'll it'll let, be uh, one of those. Right, all exactly. Right. We'll catch you on in a couple weeks.